Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. I ordered the Pentagon to shoot it down. They right. said let's wait till the safest place to do it. A balloon over U.S. airspace. Should have never been allowed to enter the mainland. They decided that the best time to do that was if it got over water within a 12-mile limit. This is really serious stuff. Jobs are up. Wages are up. Inflation is down. Well, inflation was at a record high. Of course it's coming down. Tomorrow, State of the Union address. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. New week. Welcome to uh, Monday's News and Views. Poor Joey Biden, his uh, balloon popped, and now his uh, Chinese uncle won't buy him any cotton candy at the fair. Yeah, poor Joey. Uh, Listen, this idea that... um, Joe had ordered this thing last Wednesday, and they just now got around to it. (laughs) Uh, This gets, I mean, he keeps digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's not looking good, Joe. And we've got a new ABC poll. We'll be talking about them in in a minute. Washington Post uh, ABC poll, and uh, Joe does not have many fans. Let's just say it that way. What happened? Yeah, Joe, your balloon pop is what happened. Um, but And now Joe is trying to sell himself as if he's the hero. Oh, I called it early on. Does anybody believe that? I mean, Joe struts, and even the Democrats are starting to disbelieve him. The Republicans' independence, I mean, he's it's, it's long gone. James Clapper, who was all about uh, accusing Donald Trump of Russiagate, former director of national intelligence, that's an oxymoron. Uh, Again, he helped push the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. He said Americans shouldn't be hyperventilating over the Chinese spy balloon. Well, at least he called it a spy balloon. I mean, that's, that's more than Biden will say. I think the bigger issue is, you know, we don't expend too much crisis energy, if you will, on hyperventilating over an air balloon. Well, Clapper said on CNN on Saturday, when you think about the crisis spectrum, the invasion of Taiwan, or God forbid, a nuclear confrontation, so I think we need to sort, uh, put this on in perspective, this sort of thing, put it in perspective. Listen, the Taiwan invasion, <laughs> Clapper, and he's got, he can't be that stupid. I mean, he's not real intelligent. I mean, it was an oxymoron that he was director of national intelligence. That, that's this is the whole point. What is our response to provocation by China? Was this was this a a, a test for the United States? Well, if it took them four days to shoot down a balloon that was over their airspace, they're not going to do a darn thing if we invade Taiwan. Clapper, that's the point. And understand a country like China. And other countries that are watching China, listen, they're judging us by our response, or total lack of response. And what do they respect? They respect decisive power. Why did North Korea back down from Donald Trump? Why was, you know, the uh, little rocket man, Uncle Cousin Pugsley, or whatever the guy's name is, why was he on good behavior when Donald Trump is there? Because they respect decisive behavior. And that is the antithesis of Joe Biden. 
And this was a taunt by the Chaikov. Now, I mean, were they spying at the same time? Yeah, probably. But, I mean, listen, let's go ahead and spy on them, and let's see what they do. And let's make it real obvious, and let's see what they do. Now, uh, a bunch of, uh, I guess it was some Pentagon individual said, well, there are three uh, balloons over uh, the United States from the Chaikoms under the Trump administration. Now, whether or not that is true, I don't know. I know that there was uh, a number of people that were in high places while Trump was president, including individuals that were in the military that have come out and said, no, that is not true. That never happened. Now, today, there were some other reports that have said, we ne if it happened, it, we, we've discovered this in hindsight, and we never knew it at the time. I find that hard to believe as well. But listen, Clapper, don't hyperventilate over it. <laughs> this, this very well could be the introduction to the invasion of Taiwan by the total lack of response. Do you don't think the Chinese are over there thinking, listen, uh, we probably better do this in the next two years if we're going to do something? Because certainly, I mean, as stupid as the Americans are, they're certainly not going to reelect Joe Biden for another term, are they? Wow. Uh, speaking of Joe, speaking of whether or not he'll be reelected, tomorrow night is the State of the Union. And uh, apparently, according to a new Washington Post ABC poll, as listen, Joe's going to get up there and he's going to brag. How long do you think it will take? We ought to do a little football poll here. How long do you think it will take before he brags about shooting down the balloon? I will say within the first five minutes. He'll he'll somehow try to tout himself as this this hawk because he shot down the spy balloon. Four in ten Americans going into the State of the Union address, and this is from ABC Washington Post, two rather liberal organizations. In fact, if you watched yesterday morning's ABC Talking Head program with uh, Jonathan Carl. It was um, pretty obvious that he had a disdain for reporting the poll that his own network put together, or had put together for them. Four in ten Americans say they've gotten worse off financially since Biden became president. That goes back 37 years. The last time that was reported was post-Jimmy Carter. It was actually reported during Reagan's first term, but it was post-Jimmy Carter. Nearly six in ten Democrat-aligned adults don't want to see Biden nominated again for the job. Sixty percent of Democrats don't want to see Biden nominated again for the job. According to the poll, if the matchup in 2024 was once again Trump versus Biden, amongst all adults... 48% would support Donald Trump. 44% would be for Joe Biden. Similar 48% to 45% amongst registered voters. So Joe does 1% better for registered voters. Just total adults, 48% Trump, 44% Biden. By the way, this poll, uh, it was over 1,000 adults, 1,003 adults. The division... 26% Democrat, 25% Republican, 40% in, 
and dependent. By contrast, nearly two years into Trump's presidency, 13% said they were worse off. 25% said they were in better shape. The big hit on Biden's economy, 41% say they are not as well off financially as they were when Biden took office. The most in nearly three dozen years, the last time the ABC Post had these kind of results was 1986. Biden's overall job performance rating, 42 to 53%. That's approved, disapproved. 42 disapproved. I mean, 42 approved, 43, uh, 53% disapproved. Uh, big time underwater. On the issues, Biden has just 37% approval for handling the economy, 38% on the war in Ukraine, 28% on immigration in the, in the, on the Mexican border. Biden's approval rating after two years in office is well below average compared with the previous 13 presidents. The public, by a broad 62% to 36%, would be disappointed or even angry if Biden were reelected rather than enthusiastic or satisfied. 62 to 36%. Two-thirds of the nation would be disappointed or angry if Joe is reelected. Inflation peaked at 9.1% last June, a 40-year high. It is now at 6.5%, and Joe is bragging about it. It was 1.4% when he took office. It's now 6.5%, but because it's down from 9.1% last June, Joe's strutting. That produced widespread economic pain nearly two years into Trump's presidency. 25% of Americans said they were better off since he took office. As noted, fewer than 16% now say the same about life under Biden. Given that independents are swing voters, consider among the worst off independents, Biden has a mere 12% approval rating, and Trump leads him in a vote preference 82% to 8%. Now, again, that is a small segment. That is independents who say they were worse off now than when Joe took office. Just 31% of Democrats and Democrat-leading independents say the party should nominate Biden for re-election. 58% said they should pick someone else. Two Democrat groups stand out as the most opposed to Biden for the nomination, younger adults and Democrat-leaning independents. Amongst those who are 18 to 39 years old, 79, I'm sorry, 69%, almost 70% would like to see the party choose someone other than Biden. Seven out of ten, who already is the nation's oldest president, Joe Biden is uh, 80 at this point, Anti-Biden sentiment on this measure reaches 72% amongst independents. Uh, again, this was uh, amongst adults, uh, 1,003 adults, and uh, produced by Langer Research Associates. Now, so Joe is done. Joe is done. You can see Democrats turning against him. So who do you turn to? Well, guess what? Kamala, second in line, she might be worse off than Joe. Now, some Democrats are now leaking their disdain. Democrats for Kamala, a few bigwig political types that are Democrats, are calling Harris a major liability for 2024. Harris is struggling to, quote, define her vice presidency. Even her allies are tired of waiting, says the New York Times. So, listen. The, the libs are sick of the two of them. 
I mean, this is not because suddenly, oh, they've discovered the truth that the Republicans have been talking about for the last two years. No. They realize that Kamala and Joe are an anvil around progressive necks. And if they don't jettison the two of them, they know they're going to lose in 2024. This is out of the New York Times. Quote, but the painful reality for Ms. Harris is that in private conversations over the last few months, dozens of Democrats in the White House, on Capitol Hill, and around the nation, including some who helped her put her on the party's 2020 ticket, said she has not risen to the challenge of proving herself as a future leader of the party, much less the country. Even some Democrats who supported who were supposed to be supporters of Harris, confided privately that they had lost hope in her. This is out of the New York Times. Fundraiser John Morgan, fundraiser for Democrats, was one of the few voices to speak out on record against Harris, saying this will be one of the most hard-hitting arguments against Biden. Argument only becomes stronger because of the president's age. It doesn't take a genius to say, look, with his age, we have to really think about this. Morgan also took aim at Harris's record of achievements as vice president. Zero. <laughs> quote from this guy Morgan, John Morgan, Democrat fundraiser. Quote, I can't think of one thing she's done except to stay out of the way and stand beside Biden at certain ceremonies. End quote. Multiple polls reflect Harris's general unpopularity with voters, 39% of Americans say they approve of the vice president's job performance, according to 538. Harris has gained a reputation for flubbing speeches. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, one recent speech that Harris gave in honor of two former astronauts, uh, we played that last week, was savage. It sounded like a five-year-old wrote it. You know, that's the thing. I mean, I know she can't deliver a speech, but you'd think that somebody could at least write a speech for her. I mean, does she read on a five-year-old level? Yeah. So, uh, not good news for the Biden ticket. Joey or Kamala, both of them are toast. And listen, bottom line is, I mean, you know, Republicans can sit back and say, ah, good, they got their comeuppance. Listen, the reason why these liberal publications are coming out and saying what they're saying is because they know that Joe is an anvil around their neck, and they want to jettison him. I mean, between what he has done at the border, what he's done in Ukraine, what he didn't do with this balloon, with Hunter Biden, with his brothers, they're corrupt, and the American people are starting to get it. And they know when the American people get it, that is an election that they will get pummeled. We've got to take a time out. Lots more to talk about, including the North Carolina Supreme Court. Yeah, the previous court, the previous justices on the North Carolina Supreme Court, uh, they're being taken to the woodshed. We'll talk about that when we get back. Don't ever let me see again in life those Republicans talking about anything. These are demons. More news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Thank you, Maxine. Always good to hear from you. Uh, taking a quick look at your weather forecast tonight, mainly clear skies, a low around 30. Tomorrow, lots of sunshine, a high of 61. 
And Wednesday, even more sunshine with a high of 69. Thursday, partly cloudy skies with a high of 73. Uh, rain possibly comes back on Friday. And again, just some real pleasant temperatures throughout the remainder of the week. Cools back down on Saturday. Not bad, though. 56 and 58 for early February is not bad at all. Carolina Journal is reporting that the North Carolina Supreme Court has agreed to hear two cases, one involving state election maps and two North Carolina's challenged voter identification law. Justices voted along party lines, five to two, to rehear both cases in March. The court's five Republican voted for the hearings, two Democrats voted no, and Holmes versus Moore, the state Supreme Court ruled 4-3 on December the 16th to strike down North Carolina's 2018 law mandating voter photo IDs. The court's Democrat outvoted Republicans in the ruling that the law discriminated against minority voters. And again, as we have said all along, what a racist comment. I mean, the comment basically, and listen, they use race for everything. Liberals use race for everything. And in this case, they're saying, oh, you're trying to penalize minorities because minorities aren't likely to have voter IDs. This is Jim Crow. Now, come on. So basically, they're saying, folks, if you're black, you don't have the ability to go out and get a voter ID. And by the way, again, let me point to Georgia. Georgia has uh, implemented laws down there that protect the integrity of their elections. And there were no complaints by blacks in this most recent election. In fact, what was it, 90-some percent of all voters said they had a good or an excellent experience voting in this last election. It is a crock. And an order on Friday evening, after we went off the air, signed by Justice Trey Allen, one of the court's new justices, the court ruled that the state legislative leaders' petition for rehearing satisfies the criteria set out in court rules. Legislators' leaders must file an additional document in the case by February the 17th. Voter ID critics responded, uh, can respond by March the 3rd. This matter will be placed on the March 14th calendar for rehearing. So, in other words, on March the 14th, it won't happen on March the 14th. On March the 14th, it will be placed on the calendar. The NAACP, North Carolina NAACP versus Moore case, that challenged the 2018 voter-approved state constitutional amendment, Article uh, 6, Section 3.2, that mandated voter ID. The state Supreme Court sent the case back to a trial judge in August. The 4-3 Democrat majority court set guidelines for the trial judge to determine whether the amendment could be thrown out. The same 4-3 Democrat majority from the outgoing 22 state Supreme Court ruled on December 16th in Harper v. Hall redistricting case. The court's Democrats confirmed the trial court's decision to throw out legislators' second version of a congressional map. The split Supreme Court also voted to reject the state Senate election map used in the 22 election. Upon consideration of legislative defendants' petitions and the arguments therein, this court allows the petition for rehearing according to a separate order signed again by Trey Allen. The parties in, uh, the parties in Harper v. Hall face the same briefing deadlines as in the ID case. Harper v. Hall will appear on the Supreme Court's March calendar again on March the 14th. 
to be slated for a hearing later um, to be determined. In addition to the issues raised in the petition for rehearing, the parties shall also uh, brief the following issues, whether congressional and legislative maps utilized for the 22 election, which were drawn at the direction of this court, are effective for future elections. Well, I can tell you right now, they're going to come back and say, listen, the court had no business drawing the maps. The Constitution's quite clear who's in charge of elections. It's the legislature. Two, what impact, if any, the following provisions of the North Carolina Constitution have on our analysis? What remedies, if any, may be appropriate according to the order? Well, yeah, the North Carolina Constitution has quite a bit to say on your analysis. Now, wait for this. Justice Anita Earls wrote for the Democrats dissenting from the Harper v. Hall rehearing order, quote, the majority orders fails to acknowledge the radical break with over 205 years of history that the decision to rehear this case represents. It has long been the practice of this court to respect precedent and the principle that once the court has ruled, that ruling will not be disturbed merely because of a change in the court's composition. Well, wait a minute, uh, Anita. What a joke. How about the long practice that the North Carolina Supreme Court followed the state constitution, which the previous Democrat-controlled Supreme Court clearly did not. This is the best that you can come up with, is, uh, oh, now, now we erred. What we did was unconstitutional. We certainly shot the bird at the voters of North Carolina who overwhelmingly voted for the photo voter ID law. That it was part of the Constitution. They clearly shot the bird at the uh, the voters who voted for that. And yet, the, her her only argument is to come back and say, "Well, you're upsetting precedent." Whew, that is a weak argument. Uh, the North Carolina Journal is also reporting the North Carolina Judiciary Committee is considering a bill to increase penalties for damaging property while rioting. It was reintroduced last week by Republicans in the North Carolina House after Democrat Governor Roy Cooper vetoed a similar bill last year. At that time, Republicans presumably did not have the votes to override. The legislation comes following millions of dollars worth of property damage across North Carolina during protests in 2020. This year, Republicans have enough seats in the state Senate to hold 71 out of 120 seats in the state house, one short of the 72 needed to override Cooper's veto. So why are they doing it again? Good news. And kudos to Shelley Willingham, uh, a black male Democrat from Edgecombe County. He is one of four, a Democrat, one of four primary sponsors of the bill, along with three Republicans, including Speaker Tim Moore. House Bill 40 would make rioting a felony if resulting in over 1,500 worth of property damage involving dangerous rep weapons or substances or resulted in someone's death. It would also make assaulting police officers or emergency personnel a felony. The previous version of the bill, House Bill 805, was met with strong opposition from Democrats and social justice advocates who called it racist. And again, do they realize what they're saying? There's nothing in this bill that points to race. 
It merely points to people that are breaking the law, that are destroying other people's property, and the opponents of this bill call it racist. Do you understand what they're saying? They're saying that the people that are doing the damage are blacks, are minorities. That's what they're saying. The bill doesn't say it, but these so-called social justice warriors are saying it. Last year, Cooper vetoed the bill saying it was unnecessary and intended to intimidate and deter people from exercising their constitutional rights to peacefully protest. Listen, if they're peacefully protesting, why would you be upset with this bill? This bill says nothing about peaceful protest. It, when, when you burn down somebody's house, or you throw Molotov cocktails, or you shoot guns, or you throw bricks through windows, that is not peaceful protesting, Governor. Speaker Moore responded, saying, Cooper was pandering to the left. I watched rioters cause enormous damage to downtown Raleigh while the governor did nothing. Today's veto, well, he said this last year, today's veto is another slap in the face to small business owners and residents of cities and towns across the state that were damaged by lawless riots. Willingham, a former police officer who served in D.C. during the late 60s, early 70s, was one of two Democrats who voted with Republicans to pass the bill last year. The other was Michael Ray of Northampton. Both were reelected to the State House this year. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, my hunch is if uh, those two Democrats hang in there and uh, are willing to override the veto, it looks like we're going to have a new state law dealing with rioters. And again, Cooper, you can have all the peaceful protests you want. Everybody's fine with peaceful protest. It's when they pick up the bricks and throw them through the windows. And listen, during these riots, they were unloading pallets of bricks on certain street corners so the peaceful protesters would have plenty of bricks to throw. And, and Cooper sits back and says, you're trying to curb everyone's right to a peaceful protest. I don't think so, Gov. Hey, we're going to take another time out. Stay with us. Got a great piece by Jonathan Turley, uh, an excellent columnist. He's, I mean, he, he embraces the Constitution. In that sense, he's a conservative. But uh, I don't think he ever voted for Donald Trump. But he had a great piece in the Hill. I'll share it with you when we get back. No need to search for the facts. The fact is, it's, um, well, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, hold on. Let's see, they, uh, they gave me, uh... Just take note. Okay, it's, uh, one pound of ground beef, one egg. What is this? That's a recipe for, uh, for meatloaf someone gave me. Nice. And check in throughout the day, here. Look. Uh, no, seriously. Look around. Anybody see a piece of paper with my notes on it? For what's next? Travel with us on Talk 96.3 and 103.7 with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back again. Kamala Harris, if you heard her latest plan, uh, she wants to address the root causes of illegal immigration by steering billions of dollars in private investment to Central America. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, just... Pay off those. Listen, every time we pay off a country, whether it's private money or public money, it's a complicated relationship. Yeah, uh, it, it it goes into the coffers of some tyrant, never gets to the people it's intended to help, 
And uh, it plain and simple doesn't work. Democrats, their answer for everything is throw money at it. Jonathan Turley has written a piece for The Hill. Again, Jonathan Turley I would not label as a political conservative. Now, he is a conservative when it comes to following the Constitution. He's a guy I admire. Uh, he is not a guy that would, uh, I don't know how he voted in this last, well, I know he didn't vote for Donald Trump. I don't know if he voted for for uh, Biden or just didn't vote in the last presidential election. But he writes in The Hill, this coming week, a new House select subcommittee will hold its first hearing on FBI and the possible weaponization of government agencies. A variety of such controversies have con continued to plunge public trust in the government and the FBI in particular to new lows. The role of the FBI in prior scandals remain a point of heated debate in Congress. However, members of both parties should be able to agree on the need to investigate one of the most serious allegations, censorship by surrogate. He goes on to explain what he's talking about. The Twitter files revealed an FBI operation to monitor and, social, and censor social media content, an effort so overwhelming and intrusive that Twitter staff at one point complained internally that they are probing and pushing everywhere. The reports have indicated that dozens of FBI employees worked on the identification and removal of material on a wide range of subjects, and that Twitter largely carried out their request. Nor was it just the FBI. Apparently, emails reveal FBI figures like a San Francisco assistant special agent in charge of asking Twitter executives to invite an OGA or other government organization to an upcoming meeting. Who was this other organization? The CIA. Twitter's own ranks include dozens of ex-FBI agents and executives, including James Baker, who featured greatly in prior FBI instances of alleged bias. The Twitter files also show various FBI offices monitoring social media and flagging misleading information on various subjects. The dozens of disclosed emails are only a fraction of Twitter's files and do not include still undisclosed but apparent government coordination with Facebook and other social media companies. Much of that work apparently was done through the multi-agent Foreign Influence Task Force, or FITF, which operated secretly, it seems, to censor citizens. Ironically, during the outcry of over establishing a disinformation governance board, you remember that, at the Department of Homeland Security, Biden administration officials had to have known they already were employing an extensive censorship system. I mean, I thought about that at the time. It's like, uh, wait a minute, a disinformation governance board? What have we been doing for the last two years? When the administration finally relented and disbanded the, quote, disinformation governance board, that censorship work appears to have continued unimpeded through the Foreign Influence Task Force and other agencies. According to reports, one email in August of 2022 sent long list of newspaper tweets or YouTube videos deemed to be voicing anti-Ukraine narratives. Even satirical and comedy sites reportedly were pegged by the social media police. By the way, our own Benny Hardy got thrown into Facebook jail because he posted a picture, obviously satirical, a picture of a bunch of balloons 
uh, with Hunter Biden attached to it, you know, that, that being the balloon that was floating over the United States. And he was put in Facebook jail for that. What is most striking is that the FBI was not responding to false claims about its operation. Instead, these censorship demands were the result of policing misinformation and disinformation on subjects ranging from political corruption to elections. Some apologists continue to defend this process, saying the FBI was only objecting to disinformation the way that citizens did on Twitter. That is not true. The government reportedly used back channels and regular meetings to flag unacceptable statements. Indeed, even if it were true, many things are more dangerous when done by our government. When your neighbor attacks your opinion, it's just the crank next door. When the government attacks your opinion, it's far more threatening and stigmatizing. Even if this operation did not cross the constitutional line, there are ample reasons why a democracy does not want the government in the business of targeting those it views as misleading or misinforming the public. While the FBI has every reason to pursue criminal fraud, this operation appears to have targeted speech it deemed harmful to political or social discourse. For many years, many politicians and pundits have dismissed free speech concerns by noting that the First Amendment only applies to the government. So long as corporations are doing the censoring, they contend it's not a free speech problem. That's obviously wrong on several fronts. First, the First Amendment is not the exclusive measure of free speech. Corporate censorship of political commentaries or news stories are denials of free speech that harm our democratic system. Second, this is a First Amendment violation. The Twitter files have substantiated long-standing concerns over censorship by surrogate or proxy. As with other amendments, like the Fourth Amendment, which protects against unreasonable searches or seizures, the government cannot use private agents to indirectly do what it cannot do directly. Just as police officers cannot direct a security guard to break into an apartment and conduct a search, the FBI cannot use Twitter to censor Americans. To be fair, there were occasions when Twitter reportedly balked at government demands for raw political censorship. In one case, a demand by Adam Schiff led to a frustrated Twitter censor uh, to object, we don't do this. Nevertheless, Twitter's management certainly now seems to admit that the company worked as an agent of the FBI and carried out most of the demands for social media suspensions, removals, or blocks of individuals. The only reason we know that now is because a billionaire brought the company, purchased the company. The broader effort with other companies could well constitute the largest censorship program ever run by the government, a system designed to escape both public and judicial scrutiny. The FBI's response to disclose these long-secret communications is particularly chilling. When some critics denounce it as raw censorship, the FBI accused them of being conspiracy theorists, feeding the American public misinformation. So, criticism of the FBI's work to censor citizens resulted an official statement denouncing those citizens. <laughs> you get it? In other words, with the FBI on this issue, you can't win. If you criticize them, you're going to be censored. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, our Facebook posts get censored. This country was founded on deep commitments to free speech and limited government, and that constitutional tradition is no conspiracy theory. It is unbelievable what our woke government, our deep state government is doing in D.C. It's unbelievable that the people that should be protecting our constitutional rights are the ones leading the charge to 
allow our constitutional rights to disappear. Unbelievable. we got to take another time out. We'll be right back. Back to News and Views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. So the uh, California fruitcakes have passed Senate Bill 357, known as the Safer Streets for All Act. It's amazing what they name these bills. Like the Inflation Reduction Act, they do the opposite of what you think they're going to do. So the Senate bill basically said that the other bills we had on the books concerning prostitution and loitering, uh, we're going to do away with those. Fadima Shapaz, I have no idea if that's the person's real name, of the Decrim Sex Work California Coalition, said of the bill, a coalition of current and former sex workers, organizers, and allies said of the bill, SB 357 repeals, wait for it, racist again, a Jim Crow law that criminalizes black and teens people in public spaces. Once again, do you realize what they're saying? That if you're black, you're probably going to be a prostitute. Or if you're a prostitute, chances are you're black. That's what this person's saying. Talk about racist. <laughs> they constantly want to lean on racism to get away with whatever they think they can get away with, and they themselves are the racist. California Governor Newsom signed the bill last July. Police officers told KGOTV that the new law is now prohibiting them from rescuing women who they believe are victims of human trafficking. California State Senator Scott Weiner, who promoted the bill, rather appropriate name, he argued it allowed police officers to, the, the previous bill, before they changed it, it allowed police officers to arrest a person not based on what they did, but based solely on how a person looks. So an officer could arrest someone because they were wearing tight clothing, high heels, and extra lipstick. Yeah, I'm sure that was all they, that's, that's all they did, and that's why they arrested them. But it gets worse. Parents of children are now up in arms because prostitutes are soliciting sex work right outside of elementary schools. Some are saying that the law passed by the California Democrats has handcuffed the law enforcement for cracking down on sex workers selling the bodies in broad daylight. It has gotten so bad that at one point, parents could not enter the school parking lot to let the kids off because sex workers were blocking the entrance to the parking lot. Uh, one of the schools, elementary school, is a Catholic-run school. I don't. There's no word in this article as to whether or not the sex workers were actually uh, basically trying to intimidate the Catholic school. I mean, listen, if I, I didn't watch it, but I saw plenty of stories about it last night concerning the uh, 65th annual Grammy Awards. Clearly, clearly they were slamming Christianity. I mean, they they had people, you know, this satanic scene, and uh, I, I'm not going to give them the publicity that they would hope to get. But clearly, there is an attack on religious organizations. Whether or not the sex workers were bright enough to attack this Catholic school, I mean, whether or not they could connect the dots and say we're going to go after them, I don't know. But not only is this putting kids in harm's way, again, 
this idea that the, these women that are in this trade are doing it exclusively for themselves, that they're making big bucks off of it? No. No. They've all got pimps. And if, if, if a woman wanted to go into this trade on her own without a pimp, ain't going to happen. She, she will suffer the consequences if she isn't owned by someone. It is human trafficking, plain and simple. Shame. Shame on Gavin Newsom. Shame on a Senator Weiner. Shame on the California liberals. You talk about a war on women. Newsbusters is reporting, stuck on stupid, flag decal exceeds national rules, sim- swimmer disqualified. There was a young man, they didn't give his name, this is out of uh, Newsbusters. He was in a swim meet up in Connecticut, Morristown High School. It was senior night for the swim team. He won his race on his cap, his swim cap. I mean, even guys swimmers wear caps to increase their speed was a decal of an American flag. He won. He won his race. He had the decal to honor his grandfather who died in the 9-11 attacks. According to the Daily Mail, one of the opposing coaches complained about the U.S. flag decal where he won in the 200-meter race. They measured the decal and said it was uh, not less than an inch. Therefore, the young man was disqualified. <laughs> uh, fortunately, uh, his teammates and parents there uh, supported the young man. They knew his background. They knew what happened to his grandfather. And uh, they supported him. They said, look, we know who won the race. Uh, I, I, shame on that coach. I, I, hard to believe. Hey, we got to run. Uh, we'll do it again tomorrow at 5. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.